As part of the Shenmue Dojo 20th birthday celebrations, we bring to you an exciting new interview with a key man involved in getting Shenmue 3 off the ground and into our hands last year. He worked for Kojima Productions on Metal Gear Solid 4 and other Metal Gear Solid series titles. He has a long list of credits within the games industry on big name titles such as The Last Guardian and Smash Brothers. He was also a main driver in the 2012 Kickstarter campaign for the PC and PlayStation release for public. His studio, Camouflage, also released the critically acclaimed Iron Man VR for PlayStation VR in July this year. That man is Ryan Payton. This interview took place on October 19th, 2020 via Skype. We hope you enjoyed this interview and would like to thank Ryan personally for his time and contributions towards the Shenmue Dojo's 20th birthday celebrations. Um, okay, so my, my first question is, um, it's actually for the benefit of sort of the new people we found to the community in the last sort of year or so, is, uh, could you tell me a little bit about yourself, your work in the gaming industry to date, and any sort of notable titles you've worked on apart from Shenmue 3? Yeah, uh, yeah the brief introduction of me is that uh, I got my start in the game industry uh, writing uh, articles for lots of different freelance um, publications like Electronic Gaming Monthly, OneUp.com, Wire Magazine. I ended up getting a job uh, in Japan um, at Konami, uh, Kojima Productions, working on Metal Gear Solid um, 3 towards the end of that production, and then uh, all the way through Metal Gear Solid 4. Um, and uh, that, was a, that was a great honor. And then I, uh, I left, went back home to the, to the States, to the Seattle area, to be closer to family. And that's when I, um, I was hired by Microsoft as creative director on Halo 4. I did that for two and a half, three years um, before I was let go. And then I started my own video game shop called Camouflage. And I've been doing that for the past nine years, um, which is hard to believe. And we shipped uh, two games, uh, Republic and uh, and most recently Marvel's Iron Man VR. And all the way, um, just been, you know, connecting with lots of, with lots of developers around the world and, and trying to dis- discover ways I can help them out, uh, which obviously led me to, uh, to working with somebody I know we're going to talk about on a franchise I know we're going to talk about. Yeah, very much so. Um, I, oh, thank you for that. Sorry, it's sort of interesting. I forgot you worked on Halo 4, actually. I knew about the Metal Gear Solid um, work you did. So I forgot you worked on Halo. What, what was working on Halo like, just briefly? Mm. Well, working on Halo was a, a dream come true. I, I loved the first Halo game. I love the Halo franchise. And then as a 28-year-old um, being told that you're going to be creative director on uh, the sequel to Halo 3 uh, was a was a very big day in my life. Um, and uh, and I took it very seriously. And But it was a really difficult and challenging uh, environment that we were in. Um, not to anybody's fault, really. It's just the fact that Bungie, as you as you probably remember, had had spun off of Microsoft. Uh, and then Microsoft quickly realized that they don't have anybody to develop new Halo games for. And so they decided to build an internal studio, which eventually would become known as 343 Industries. And I was probably the 11th, 12th member of that of that um, group that now is many, many hundreds of people. Wow. So it's literally from the ground up. Yes. Yes. Wow. And it was very exciting. And uh, yeah, I put I put so much of my heart and soul into that project, as, as did a lot of other people. Uh, and I'm really proud of the game. Uh, you know, I didn't, I wasn't there to ship it, which I'm really sad about. But um, a lot of the things that we were excited about, uh, and the story, the story that we wanted to tell, and the ambitions of the team, despite the fact that they've never developed a Halo game, 
uh, on that tech <laughs> ever uh, is, is quite remarkable. So I think there's a lot to be proud of for that game, despite its flaws. Thanks. That sounds really, really good. Actually, it's appropriate talking about Halo because obviously we're going back in time. <laughs> And I'm going yes, all the way back in so. time with, with this next question is um, I want to ask you sort of not just about Shenmue, but also the Dreamcast. Like how did you come across the Dreamcast? Then later on Shenmue, what, what brought you and attracted you towards the platform and later on Shenmue itself? Hmm. Well, I was enraptured by the Sega Dreamcast. Uh, and I don't know, ex I don't remember exactly why I was because I was definitely more of a PlayStation guy. Uh, and I didn't get a Saturn until much later, uh, but there was something about the ambition, I think, of what Sega was looking to do uh, that really, really spoke to me. Uh, and I remember September 9th, 1999, uh, because my, my dad and I talk about it quite a lot because I was a college student uh, when the Dreamcast came out, and I had one reserved uh, down in the Portland area uh, so I could save on taxes. But I went to end up going to school in Seattle, which is about a three hour drive. So when on September 9th, 1999, I ended up skipping, skipping school that day uh, and driving down the interstate to Portland to go pick up my, my Sega Dreamcast for launch day. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> this is before like my <laughs> cell phone and everything, but I apparently I drove really fast down uh, uh, past my dad who was also driving on the interstate and I was totally busted. Um, Cause by the time I got, I got back home, he's like, Hey, what'd you do today? I was like, Oh, you know, just, you know, normal stuff. And he's like, you, you went somewhere, didn't you? I was like, yes, dad. And I, yeah, he totally, he totally got me, but it was totally worth it. And totally in love. I was really in love with the, with the Dreamcast. Oh, so much to the point where at a certain point I was convinced that I was, and I actually started working on, it. I was going to write a book about the history of the Sega Dreamcast. And I was starting to collect quotes from developers. Oh, um, that's, a, that's, that's the level of, um, of, of dedication and, and just absolute love I had for that for that console. And what did you pick up at launch, if you don't mind my asking? Oh, no, I don't mind at all. I, I, picked, up, uh, I picked up Soul Calibur. And oh, yes. I also picked up um, Final Fantasy VIII for PlayStation 1, uh, which was both, both came out the same day. Um, I remember just having, I was juggling between the two. You know, which is pretty good, right? You have your story-driven game on, on PlayStation, and then you had your 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 battler. Um, and again, I was at college, so it was a great game to just have people come into my my dorm room and and play. It was just just a great game. Yeah, especially consider the cutting edge cutting edge technology at the time as well. I bet people coming in like, oh my, wait, what's this? This is amazing. You know, Soul Calibur holds up today, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, just thinking about the other games that was after launch, but another game that was a huge hit within the dorms was Crazy Taxi. We ended up having like a whiteboard and we we're all writing up all our different scores. And I got really, really, really into that game. Yeah, I love that game. And the soundtrack on that is 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 among my favorite oh, it's great. of all time. <laughs> um, so good. Yeah, I loved it. So then sort of going into obviously you, you expressed your love for the Dreamcast. And then so when did you hear about Shenmue and, and how did that come about? Well, there's the various video game magazines I grew up reading and loving and wanting to write for one day, uh, which I was able to. And that was that's that's always been really special to me. Uh, and the, the official Dreamcast magazine was always talking about, as you know, the virtual fighter RPG, which I found to be really, really intriguing. Just that, that just that idea. It's all you need to put is virtual fighter RPG. I'm in. Right. And it was going to star Akira, as you know. And so I've really followed that, the story of what would eventually become Shenmue um, extremely closely or Project Berkeley, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I 
I just followed every single bit of news I could all leading up all the way through, through launch. Uh, and I made sure that I had a, a, a launch Japanese copy on its way imported uh, to Seattle. And at the time I was already studying Japanese for a number of years. Uh, but I really put my Japanese skills to the test by playing through the game um, on my modded Dreamcast uh, through in, in Japanese. And that was that was one of my f- most favorite video game experiences of my life, I have to say, is playing through that game like that. And uh, you studying Japanese, how much of it did you understand? Because <laughs> I know if I tried that, it, it wouldn't go very well. Well, I, I learned the hard way, way that and, and, I, and I know with your background, you, you probably know this to be true, is that um, you know, there's only so far you can go with education before you need to start applying it in the real world. And yeah. um, I remember being surprised and, and disheartened early on when I was studying Japanese that I didn't understand a lot of what these characters are saying in, in lots of different Japanese video games, not just Shenmue. Um, but the nice thing about Shenmue was that it, it, had, it had full voiceovers, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. even if I couldn't read the kanji, I could hear what they're saying. And I was picking up a lot of the different conversational things that they're repeating over and over and over again. So in a way I was, I w- truly was learning a lot of Japanese by playing the game. Uh, and, and I w- which I would eventually apply to when I, when I, when I moved over there uh, several years after the fact. Fantastic. That's really interesting to know because I, I know that um, one of our other sort of community groups, Phantom River of Stone and um, started doing a, a piece around um Jap- learning japanese through shenmue actually so it's mm-hmm. quite apt that you've done that yourself in some respects um, totally, i did it exactly that way yes yes that's that's very that's interesting to hear because uh, i know um james who co-owns a dojo with me is learning japanese at the moment and he, he said it's it's quite he's picking it up but there's so much Good. to it i mean it, it's beyond me <laughs> at the moment mm-hmm but um, yeah, no, that's fantastic. So let's talk about the game atmosphere. Obviously, at the time, as we know, it was there was nothing like it at the time. It, it really broke all sorts of game boundaries. I start thinking about when I played like Legend of Zelda or Karina Tony mm-hmm. in '64. It was a massive game, but it wasn't set in the real world. Shenmue, in in my view, was the first real AAA title, if you like. So how did it sort of break ground for you in terms of gameplay, in terms of atmospherics, in terms of the music, in terms of the way it presented itself compared to what was on the market at that time? Well, I think like a lot of people, and partially because Yu Suzuki was behind the game and partially probably because it was initially discussed as a virtual virtual fighter RPG, is I went to the game intrigued by the story, but very excited to have an RPG that is driven by those really solid virtual fighter fighting mechanics. And I remember being somewhat disappointed by the fact that it's just not as in-depth as the, as the virtual fighter games. Right. Yeah. And so, but, but the good news is that despite my disappointment, what ended up filling that void of what I was looking for out of this game was this, the atmosphere. And as you were mentioning, Matt, like the, the, the everyday lifestyle <laughs> activities that you have as, as viral, right? Um, and I found myself just being completely enamored by um, feeling like I was back in Japan, which again is a very different experience than I know that a lot of people had, um, especially in the West when they first played Shemo. They didn't have that, that, that experience to draw upon. But again, in my own personal life, I had the, I had the opportunity to 
uh, be an exchange student when I in Japan when I was in high school. And uh, so I remember walking around um, neighborhoods that are very similar to the Yokosuka uh, neighborhood that, that you have in Shenmue 1. And so, and, you know, I just, just loving the smells, loving the way that it just being fascinated by the different objects that they had in their houses, like how their, their dresser drawers were different and how their, their telephones were different. And so just being able to live in that world and just like the, having just so much fun with the mundane aspect of, of Japanese life uh, to me was just so interesting that uh, it really did fill the void that I think that the lack of depth and the fighting mechanics uh, that left, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things for me when I first played it, I was, I was, 14 at the time it was just around my 14th birthday I picked mm. it up uh, my parents got it for me and I knew a bit about it um I'd followed it in in the Dreamcast UK magazine um but and I knew it was a, a virtual fighter RPG but that was about it really so I went in almost with a blank canvas if you like of what I didn't know what to expect and what I think resonated with me was like you say it's it's the atmosphere it's the mundane things that I could go and do what I wanted within the game and uh, you know in the year 2000 when we got mm. it it that was unheard of and for me it, it captured the imagination not just about Japan but in terms of storytelling in terms of the way the game was presented in terms of the way the characters were presented and it, it really resonated with me so I remember um finishing Shenmue 1 <laughs> thinking, well, I want more, come on, where's more? Not knowing there was a sequel, (laughs) which sounds really silly now, but at the time I didn't know. So Mm. I I was instantly, the moment I finished Shenmue 1, I was like, right, when's Shenmue 2 coming out? I I must know. And we were lucky in the UK that we got it. We got it, um, it was published over here. But in the US, um, unfortunately, they didn't. And were you one of the people that imported it over? Oh, you better believe I did. <laughs> and just before we sort of move on into sort of talk, meeting Yuzuki and all the rest of it, um, if how would you compare Shenmue 1 to Shenmue 2? And do you have a favourite? Mm. Well, I do think that Shenmue 2 is the better game. Uh, and I played through it fairly recently yeah when it was remastered um oh yeah the yeah. Shimu one and two remaster and i was i was i had a couple of takeaways which i was really surprised by um one is that i forgot how obtuse Shimu one was in terms of where you're supposed to go <laughs> and so i had to like cheat a little bit and remind myself like what who am i supposed to talk to like what do i have to do and i have to be here at this specific time how did i figure this out before in japanese i have no idea <laughs> um and and but i also uh with with shimu two i wasn't as just emotionally touched as maybe as i was when I first played Shemu 2, especially in the final disc where you're with Shenhua mm-hmm. in the forest, it's still a really beautiful moment. But that was when I played that originally, I was absolutely blown away. Absolutely blown away that that was just a big sequence in this AAA game that had no real gameplay other than walking around, a few running quick time events, saving a, a deer in the river, and just having this conversation with Shenhua. Um, it's Again, it, it didn't hit me as, as hard as it did when I was playing it originally, but I think that's just such, such a beautiful, um, just a beautiful game, beautiful moment. 
And uh, I, I really, really, I think I, I think I love uh, both games, but I think maybe Shimbo 2 edges it out a little bit. Yeah, I think my opinion is probably very similar to yours, actually. I think mm. Shenmue 1 set everything up perfectly for me, and then Shenmue 2 just it, it, it knocked it out of the park in terms of the storytelling. And I think you're right about Guilin Disc 4. Um, being at that point, I was turning 15, I think. I, I didn't mm. appreciate Guilin at the time for what it was. It was only when I went back, sort of 18, 19, and played it, and you actually realise, I think, how daring that section is in terms yeah, of design. Right. Because, you, like you say, you, you're walking, you're talking, and there's a few QTEs here or there. And that's, you know, in essence, all that you do. But it's right. in the depth of the conversations, isn't it? It's in, in, in the depth of atmospherics, just talking to Shenhua and mm. getting to know her and getting to obviously the end of the game and the now infamous cliffhanger where <laughs> actually I'm wanting to know obviously more about the Shen, the, the prophecy around the mirrors, but I want to know more about Shenhua. I want to know mm-hmm. more about Bailu village and, and all the rest of it that was, that came through those conversations. And I think actually when you play Shenmue two and go to Shenmue three back to back, it's, it's, it's a perfect setup. It flows fantastically for me into Shenmue mm-hmm. 3 but I, yeah that's just yeah, obviously just my opinion but as we're sort of on the I've brought into Shenmue 3 now um we'll talk about Yu Suzuki a bit when did you first meet him um how did it come about well it was I'm forgetting the 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 the, the years now that I'm getting older but it's <laughs> roughly around 2012 2013 and I remember I was having dinner with with Mark Cerny in Tokyo, um, and I was mentioning to him how I know I knew that he was a, a an acquaintance or a friend of Yusuzuki, and I told him at a certain point I said, "Hey, you know, I really want to get in contact with him." He said, "Well, I'm more than happy to introduce you, but like, why do you want to get in contact with him?" And I said, "Well, I just did a I completed a Kickstarter for my game studio's first title, Republic, and I'm convinced that if this is the this is the path for Yu Suzuki to continue his his legacy, um, and and thankfully like Mark Cerny agreed, and I and I told him a little bit more about it, which is that just as a fan, it's bothered me, really, really, really bothered me that for so many years, um, Yu Suzuki was not able to to continue working on that on that franchise, and not knowing anything about him on a personal level, right? It's just as a as a fan of his and as a connoisseur of game development and 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 just and just loving the industry i just can't imagine what it would be like to be him where you are maybe aside from shigeru miyamoto a video game development god right not just in yeah. japan but in the world right and the amount of power and influence that he had when he was at sega and i'm sure you've watched some of the Shenmue making of content yeah, where you could just see him at the height of his power chain smoking in those dark rooms giving direction <laughs> to like a packed room for like 40 people and he's just like scrutinizing the smallest thing about this like early development build of Shenmue right and he's got this grandiose plan and it's, there's 11 chapters there's 16 chapters nobody knows how many chapters there are but it's an unbelievably big vision that he has and then Shenmue 1 as we all know comes out disappointing on the commercial side of things he thank thankfully was able to um build the rest of what he had um which was ended up becoming Shenmue 2 right um yeah. which was largely made up of cut content from the original game 
Uh, and then it, I don't, I don't know the particulars of it because um, I don't tend to ask them about these things. But I think just from the outside, you can tell Sega was basically they're they're not good financially, and they're also just not not willing to probably keep Yu Suzuki in that level in that in that position of leadership anymore. So then he just kind of fades off into the sunset with a few, you know, he worked on a couple of other smaller games, right? But yeah. And yeah. it just always bothered me. Just always bothered me. And I remember telling Mark about that. And he's like, Yeah, like, why don't you reach out to Yusuzuki and tell him I said hi? So he gave me his email email address and um I I emailed him and I basically said, Look, it's been bothering me for longer than you can imagine, probably longer than maybe but maybe not as long as for you, um, that you haven't been able to continue this franchise. And I think you should I think I have an idea for how you can make Shenmue 3. And he writes back uh, and says, wait, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so then what ended up uh, happening over the course of many months is uh, different Skype calls. And then I eventually met him face-to-face at GDC, um, where we spent about a day and a half together, where I explained to him who I am, really. And I ex- walked him through what Kickstarter is. And then he brought a bunch of materials uh, to, to, with him to San Francisco of all the original Shenmue documentation. And he just sat down with me and just said, hey, this is my plan. This is what I want to do. What do you think? And so, yeah, that's how we that's how we started meeting. And that was, yeah, many, what is that, six, no, that was like seven or eight years ago now. Was the Kickstarter a hard sell to him initially? Um, uh, it, it was because he didn't know what it was initially. He didn't know what Kickstarter was. And so he was obviously very skeptical. Um, but over time, I was able to kind of wear him down, which is basically what I do <laughs> every single time I'm meeting with him is I'm typically wearing him down uh, to the point where, yeah, he, he ended up realizing that, yes, this is the right path. And, uh, and yeah, there was a whirlwind to get it to, to Kickstarter and have that success. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, as, as, as you know, um, and, and I'm sure as like some of your readers know, but um, yeah, I've just been kind of like this, this shadow figure in the background, pushing, pushing, pushing along to try to get this, this, uh, get more chapters of this game completed. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll talk about the success of the Kickstarter in a minute. And um, I'm, you, in, you, you know, I'm interested to know, obviously you brought over like the documentation from Shenmue as a whole. What, is there anything in that that's, uh, well, it depends whether you can talk about it or not, of course, but was there anything in there that stood out in terms of what's to come? You don't have to tell us what it is, but was there anything in there you think, wow, I didn't realize the story was going this way or that way? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's the whole, the tome is is is, is quite interesting. And I was so, so happy and and humbled by the fact that he shared that with me. Uh, as a fan of this franchise, I'm really excited for the stories that are yet to be told, and I really hope that he's able to tell them, because I did, yes, I saw and read a lot of really exciting stuff. Because, As I'm sure you know, within the Shenmue community, um, as fans like to speculate <laughs> quite a lot, mm. and there's all sorts of theories going around as to where the story's going to go, whether it's going to be a redemption arc, whether it's going to be something completely different. And it's it's interesting to know, I'd, I'd love to know if any of those theories that are out there are true or not. You don't have to comment. I, I just know it's a personal interest for me as to whether anything well, that fans have said is true. And that's where well, it may thank, go. Thankfully, I can plead ignorance because I don't typically dive into the fan theory side of things. Um, okay. I find uh, that I... I typically focus on more of the the fans like 
reaction to like what's happening at that moment in time, right? Yeah. Um, and like, what's the reaction to this trailer, or what's the action reaction yeah. to Shenmue Three, for example? And I wrote up a huge report based on that and, and shared it with Yusuzuki. Suzuki. So, yeah, but in terms of like forward thinking things, like yeah, I have a, I have a, actually have a very very clear sense for what I think the community wants out of the next game, but yeah. I don't, I don't really typically read like story arc. Uh, theories okay. and maybe i should but I, yeah i really don't do that i think in some respects it's probably good you haven't there's some really really good ones out there i just for me personally i i when eventually hopefully shenmue 4 comes i want to see i want i want to find out for myself i i am envious that you've seen things that are yet yet to come but i'm also sat there going as a as a, as a fan going i can't wait to find out what comes next Mm. And I think that's yes. part of the reason. I think we're we're also hooked on this franchise. Actually, is we want to know what happens next, and that's the one thing that for all fans agree is that it's always had that. It's always been about so what happens next, and it draws you in. It, it, it's fantastic storytelling. But I digress anyway. So well, let, gonna... me, let me tell you one one more thing about that, Matt, before you go to your next question. Yeah. Okay. Is that? And I don't think I'm revealing, I'm, I'm not revealing any kind of future plot stuff, but I think what's important maybe for the community to know is that it's not as if Yu Suzuki has this big tome of text that outlines every single moment from now until the very end. Mm -hmm. He doesn't. I mean, he's got a, he's got a story and it's written in those characters and there's big moments and, and, and yeah, it's all very exciting, right? But he doesn't really go into the, he doesn't take it to the next level in terms of level of detail until he starts working on that. And, uh, on that specific game and uh and so a lot of the things that um that were built for Shenmue 3 were created during the development of that some story threads a lot of characters were created during the development so and I I, I only bring that up because I think before I was exposed to that um, level of detail I kind of thought that he had maybe every single game mapped out to level to the point where he had the mechanics figured out and every single location figured out and it, it wasn't to that level of detail it's interesting because I think a wide, a wide speculation with the fan base is that the story is detailed, it is mapped out, he knows what he wants to do next, he knows what's what, as you say, mechanics are involved. It's interesting that actually there's a broad outline, but actually until that game starts getting worked on, that's when it gets fleshed out. So it's, that's quite a nice tidbit of information for us, actually. I think the community will love that. Yeah, I think, I mean, again, it's not like it's like a bullet point list. I mean, there's a story, right? And mm -hmm. there's characters and there's dialogue, right? But those are mainly like the the, the high level, A-level a story, if you will. Yeah. Right? But the B-level and the C-level like level of detail, like the sub-characters and things like that are, are not are not developed in that in that, in that material. Excellent. That's really nice to know. Okay, I'm going to go into the Kickstarter launch. Obviously, hmm. you've convinced Yuzuki to go ahead with this Kickstarter. Did it take much persuasion to Sony to say to them, look, this is what we're going to do. This is what we want to do. We're going to kickstart it. Was Sony receptive to the idea? Obviously, he came up on, on, on stage and they unveiled it. But what were those discussions like behind the scenes in terms of getting to that point that Yuzuki was on that stage in 2015 right before that all really kicked into gear? Well, that, that actually, I don't know. I'll, I'll admit is because I... I worked on the Kickstarter leading up to the to the point where we knew what the game was going to be, mm -hmm. and working on the materials with Yu Suzuki and his team, and working with Harry Morishita-san, who works uh, with him on the business side. Uh, and so I brought it up all the way to that point with him, and then it was him, Harry, and 
Sony, uh, like Adam Boys and, and that crew, uh, yeah. working towards uh, you know figuring out how yeah how E3 was going to work and everything. Um, so I wasn't I wasn't in those meetings, and I'm so I, I'm not really privy to yeah the particulars of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know it, when it was a it, the, what I from what I can tell is that they were very receptive to that idea. Uh, they thought it was so bold, and uh, and yeah, I, I love that side of Sony where they're willing to do daring things like that. And uh, it was a big, big success. And I was so happy for Yu Suzuki. I was there, you know, there with him, you know, that, that, that day in LA when he showed mm. up on stage. Can you just imagine like what a big moment that was for him uh, in his career, you know, having been dormant for so long, right? And then just seeing like the excitement um, that, that the fans had. And then, and then just seeing this Guinness Book of World Records success that they had for the Kickstarter was, was absolutely awesome. I remember it. I, I stayed up and watched it, actually. Mm. And I remember sitting there going, Sony can't do any better. And, and then Shenmue 3 turned up and everybody lost their minds. Um, I remember I'll, I'll... My, my mobile phone was going crazy. <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet. Yeah, especially big for the site, you know, I have to imagine. And I, I'll tell you one one tidbit I have is that I knew that Yusuzuki was excited, right? Mm. And I know that he knew how important it was to keep the whole announcement secret. And if I'm remembering this correctly, maybe four or five hours before the announcement or the day before the announcement, he's at, he's at the convention center and he sees a forklift and he takes a photo <laughs> of it and he tweets it. Oh yeah. And I remember that. thinking, I was like, I think I might've been told him, I was like, dude, I don't know if you should keep doing this because you don't want to ruin the surprise. Uh, but that's what I typically am doing. I'm usually like, do you really want to do this? So that's, that's my, that's my role on the team. That was, yeah, I remember that tweet. And I was just an ordinary member of the, the, the dojo at that point, And the place blew up. Everyone yes. was like, we've got to watch E3 now. And and obviously, subsequently, everybody was right. Um, but I think after yes. years, years of disappointment, I think it, the anticipation went into absolute fever pitch. It was it was something out. I've never experienced anything like it about a video game. Mm. And from from your point of view, Obviously, when you're planning the Kickstarter, you're thinking, right, how well do you think it's going to go? Where's it going to end up? Did you ever honestly anticipate that it was going to break world records, that the reception for it would be absolutely mind-blowing, that it basically broke the the gaming internet, for want of a better expression? (laughs) Did you really, did you expect that kind of reaction to it? Well, yes. (laughs) To start off, yes. I absolutely thought it was going to smash records. And that's... I knew that years prior. Uh, and so that's why I think I was such a, a strong and compelling voice in his ear for so many, for so long, right? Leading up to that point, uh, I had that conviction. And I have to say that he was right about that tweet, I should say, is that even though I was nervous about it, I think what it did was it was a rally cry to the Shenmue community that you need to pay attention to what's happening in E3. So I think he was right about that. It didn't reveal too much. Yeah, um, I think that's right. And, and also, this is neither here nor there, but that was a really big day for me because, um, and not many people know about this, but not only on that day was Shenmue 3 announced, but The Last Guardian was re-revealed oh, yes, that day. And um, and I was also very instrumental in helping um, Fumito Ueda get that game um, back on track and, and, and for the PlayStation 4 release of that game. And so both of those Japanese game creators who I have so much love and respect for, um, you know, getting seeing that level of excitement from fans was um, really just something that even to this day, Rick, really warms my heart. And I was I'm just really honored that I could be a part of both of those. It's, yeah, it's termed E3 a dream for a reason, I think. And 
I mm. mean, personally, I played Last Guardian and absolutely loved it. Um, I'm digressing here, but I remember sitting at the end of the game, and actually, because there's not a lot of dialogue within that game, it's all mm. about the relationship between yourself and Trico and how it, how it builds up. And it's all through body language. It's all through expression. And I, 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 it captured my imagination in the same sort of way Shenmue did in the way it created its atmospherics and it built its characters yes. differently, but it had the same impact. And it's a game that I hold, certainly for this generation, right up there as one of my absolute favourites. It was oh, it's, that's awesome to hear. Fan, fantastic experience for, for me personally. So yeah, anyway, I'll stop. I'll stop now about that because I'll, I'll oh, go I know. I, could talk, I would love to talk to you about that another point. Yeah, about Last it's, Guardian. It's but yeah, fan, please. Fan, fantastic game, all the same. Um, okay, so we sort of if we touch into sort of Shenmue 3's Kickstarter itself, obviously things have blow, blown up. It's gone absolutely crazy. How did that sort of impact your workload around the Kickstarter? Considering it, it was going for want of better expression, it went mad. How did that affect your workload of the Kickstarter and management of it, considering the, the sort of the, the, the scrutiny around it, shall we say, and, and and the interest in it? Well, you know, maybe this is a good segue into talking about like my role within the group, right? Mm. Is that um, I really get to have the best of both worlds. I get to sit down with Yu Suzuki on a fairly regular basis, ask him how he's doing. He just shows me what he's working on. And we just talk about it and I give some thoughts, feedback, oftentimes it's from the perspective of, a, of just a hardcore fan. Um, and, and then I get to leave and I don't have to do the actual work. <laughs> so, and the, and the same is, is, is true of the Kickstarter, um, is that I, thank God, was not part of like the day-to-day -day of that, which I can't even imagine how stressful and how busy that was. But I was a voice of the, from the community about, hey, look, from what I can tell, as somebody who's not reading every single comment, these five things need to be addressed ASAP. And here's some ideas, like you could talk to this person, you can hire this person, maybe add some more clarity to this, to this tier or whatever. And I think generally speaking, Yu Suzuki has been very open-minded and really easy to work with. And his crew have, have always been really easy for me to work with. And so, um, yeah, that's like the level of, of involvement I had in the Kickstarter once it was announced, but leading up to it, very, I had a lot of conversations about what the game was actually going to be. And I, I probably shouldn't speak too much out of turn, but there was a lot of conversations about, you know, would it even be a kind of a more quote unquote normal Shimu game or would it be a very stripped down experience, right? Or mm. yeah, what would it be? And I, I remember we had lots of debates about that and I'm, um, I'm really happy that he's, he, he was committed to, to, to building like a full experience. Yeah, I think, just from my personal point of view, I, I, I was, I think, you can't, I mean, I, you can't please everybody with anything at the end of the day. And I think what he got out of what he had to do it is, is phenomenal, actually, considering two full voiceovers, two fully open world areas, a fighting system. I think there's a, a, a lot of credit there where it's, where it's due. I think it's a fantastic achievement for what he had, and considering where he'd come from literally back from the dead for want of a better word i think it is phenomenal so within sort of development obviously like you say you weren't involved in the in the day-to-day the -day development of of the game but are there any particular points during that development cycle that stand out to you as particular favorite moments that you that you can pinpoint hmm well i'll i don't know if they're favorite but i'll just give you a couple snapshots of what are in, are in my mind yeah. Uh, 
So typically what I'll do is I'll go visit WiseNet um, when I'm, uh, I'm in Japan on business and which would be fairly frequent. And I would, I would go up to their, to their floor and check in with some friends and, and I sit down with Yu Suzuki at his, at his desk. And then he's, he, to his credit, he always has the game up and running. Um, he's not one of those kind of game creators that check out the game once a month or once a week. Like, he is always looking at the game. Uh, maybe, maybe to like the horror of like the, the development team. Right? <laughs> and, and like a, like a, like a school teacher, he's got like this long, um, this, this, uh, kind of metallic stick that he has this pointer, right. And he's mm-hmm. pointing to things on a screen saying, move this box three centimeters this way or this shadow looks wrong or i don't really love the lighting here what if you guys did this or this right and he's just just constantly like scrutinizing the game working on the game improving the game even from like two years before ship and so i thought just like seeing that i thought was um interesting in fact um I am probably speaking out of turn on this one, but I think he's going to be fine if I re- if I talk about this. But one, I remember one moment in particular. He was uh, building out the interior of the of the boat that you arrive on. Oh um, yeah, at at Niawu, is that right? Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, it was like the, it was like the bottom, the basement floor of that of that boat. And he was, you know, asking the team to move around different like machinery um, and stuff like that inside there. And they eventually never let the player even explore that area, right? But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just remember him, just the level of scrutiny that he had. I thought that was really interesting. Hey, um, sorry, Carol. Yeah. No, no, please. I was going to say, it sort of reflects in some Shenmue as a whole, that, that attention to detail, those yes. finer things that maybe as a, as a casual player, you wouldn't always pick up on. But actually, those finer details make Shenmue what it is, I think. I agree. I agree. And... Uh, and then also what makes Shenmue what it is, is that I, maybe if, you're, if your community wants to blame me, this is totally fine. Uh, <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I deserve it. But I remember one of the bigger arguments I got, in, uh, got, into, him, got into with him was when I started to see the opening of the game uh, come together, where you have that long walk with Shenhua uh, coming in uh, as you're approaching the village. Yeah. And he gives, he gives me the controller. He's like, no, play it. I'm like, okay, cool. I, so I, I, I walk for maybe five seconds and then it triggers a cutscene, And then I walk for another seven seconds and it triggers another small scene with Shenhua. And then I walk and it, it just does it over and over and over again. Yeah. And, it's, and I put the controller down. I'm like, okay, you son, we need to talk. It's like, okay, what are you, you, you going to complain about next? I said, well, this is really reminding me of like criticism that um, a game that I worked on had, which was Metal Gear Solid 4, which early on is like you move a little bit and then cutscene, and you move a little bit and cutscene. Um, and, Shim- and Metal Gear Solid 3 had that as well. And I said, modern game development is really trying to prevent this. He's like, okay, okay. And so um, that actually, so to his credit, he removed that stuff. And I think you're, I think the players would, would it had, it had, if you had, had like an A-B test of the two, I think you'd prefer what he shipped with. But still, there are some flaws with it. You can tell, like some of the disjointed, disjointed nature of that initial scene between um, Ryo and Shenhua as they're walking to the village. It's, I'm partly to blame for that because I, I, I really strongly convinced them to remove the gameplay sections from that. So I remember that that, that debate pretty pretty clearly. Interesting, yeah, because it's, it's the only section of the game that has that. The rest yes. of it, it fits in that normal Shenmue mold, and it was it was a point of discussion within the community as to why that was there. So I'm, I'm quite Please, you sort of alluded to to that in some respects because it's 
it's also interesting that he took that he obviously took that on board based on your experiences and it's, it sounds like you have a really good working relation with relation i can't speak you can speak anymore working relationship mm-hmm. with him yeah, yeah we have a really 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 i think healthy work relationship mm. where and it's something that i've nurtured over time too that because i think about my work right where i work with people that have feedback for a game that i'm directing and and i don't generally like to work with people who just want to bark out their opinions on games and what, mm-hmm. what about that especially what they don't like like oh this sucks or like i don't like this or whatever i'm like hey if you can't communicate and, and and the team at camouflage is really good at this by the way they're really really good at communicating their ideas but i've worked with people in the past where i'm like you know what even if this person has a really good piece of feedback i'd rather not work with them because it's just so negative all the time right so i'm very conscious of that and i try to make sure that i balance out my 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 criticism with with um, affirmation for the stuff that i'm seeing that the development team's doing and i think that's it's allowed me to build trust with him over the years yeah and, it, and, and respect i think as well for your for your view your opinions on, on on the game itself and vice versa i think and it's it's nice that you can have that working relationship where it's built on that that respect for each other and that when you when you do point something out it's coming from a place at the right place if you know what i'm saying rather than just constantly being negative 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 it's coming from a place that actually will aid the game and and hopefully improve it you're right and it's funny that you mentioned it's coming from a good place right is that both with Yu Suzuki and with Fumito Ueda, it took years and years and years to prove to them that I am who I am, who I say I am, which mm. is I'm just a fan and I want to help and I'm willing to do this for free and I'm willing to put in the hours to help uh, and I'll be with you through good times and bad times, but I want you to be successful and that's why I'm there. And it's just like such a weird pitch. Like people are like, why would you do this? Like, why, <laughs> why are you paying for your flights to help come over here? Why are you doing like... I invent, uh, at one point I invited uh, Yu Suzuki and Harry to my home in Seattle and I sat, sat him down. This is very early, this is before the, the, the Kickstarter campaign. And I spent a whole day um, catching Yu Suzuki up with modern video gaming. And can you imagine as a fan of his, uh, you know, going back to like Virtual Fighter and Space Harrier, that I've got Yu Suzuki on my couch here and I'm showing him what GTA 4 is and Destiny and Heavy Rain and Wolf Among Us. And all these games that he influenced heavily, right? Mm. Uh, and I mean, it was that was one of the points where he was asking, "He's like, well, like, why are you doing this again?" And I just have to <laughs> keep reminding him that I'm I'm doing this because I, I care deeply about him and the and the community and the, and this franchise. Yeah, I think that, that's exactly what it is. It's it's, it's a, a love for the franchise and his work at the end of the day, and it's I think it's what drives this community forward. And actually, it sort of comes into my next question around sort of the future of Shenmue if you like obviously sure. there's there's the message in in the game from Yuzuzuki that the, the fate of Shenmue 4 is back in the fans hands uh, mm. to some degree at least anyway I, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes necessarily but is, is there any advice you could give to the community for obviously working with Yuzuzuki and being involved for such a long time is there any advice you can give the community to say you know, this is you know keep pushing Shenmue 4 can happen is there anything any sort of advice guidance you could give us around that hmm well i mean for starters this, that's a that message at the end of shimbo 3 is an is, is another example of something that he and i worked on together uh, i remember when i played a uh, pre-release version of the game uh, it just ended and i said you sound you we you gotta say something at the end of this thing this has been a long journey right for the fans and uh 
And he's like, yeah, you're right, you're right. And, uh, and, he, and he, he wrote that message and, uh, and, and I worked on the English version of it. And I really, I'm really, really happy he did that. And uh, to me as a fan, I think it really helped, um, yeah, give, it, give me hope for that this, this franchise is gonna continue. But to answer your question, Matt, um, my advice to the community is that kind of in the same way that I talk about the feedback that I give Yusan in the, in the way I communicate with him, which is having a good balance of the good and the bad, yeah. is that I think if you want to be hypercritical of Shemu 3, you have many justified reasons for that. Right. I think if somebody and people have they've created YouTube videos where they just destroy the game. And again, I think a lot of their criticisms are completely valid. Um, but as, as for, for fans of the series and, as, and, and who want to see more. Right. I think it really behooves them to as much as possible, have a balanced perspective on it and try to try to stay optimistic and try to stay positive and focus on, on many of the uh, successes of that game, which one of them you brought up, Matt, is the fact that from a development perspective, this thing is a damn miracle that they did not start with the code base of Shenmue 1 and 2. He recreated, him and his team recreated so many complex systems from Shenmue 1 and 2 in a new engine that they've never used before on a platform they've never shipped on. Um, and they delivered on a game, I think, that had more features and more length than anybody was ever expecting. Um, and, and that should be um, celebrated. And I think a reason to be hopeful for the future is that if there is an opportunity to work on a sequel to build a Shenmue 4, Presumably, the team is going to be working on that code base, and so they can spend, instead of spending 70% of their time building the foundation and then 30% of the time building the content, they can spend 80% of their time building content for a sequel and not having to worry about building that foundation. And that is the secret ingredient, by the way, of almost all the best video games of all time, is that they are either explicitly or implicitly sequels. They're built on the past successes from those dev teams. Uh, and uh, and that's why I have a lot of hope that, you know, if, if there is an opportunity to build a sequel, that it will be much improved over, yeah. the, over the third installment. And, and what you're saying is that it's something we've, we've talked about in the community quite a lot is, is that the basic, you know, the, the, the mechanics are there, the codes there, that you've got character models there. All of that hard work is done in terms of, the, mm -hmm. the core game itself it's then really drilling into the the, the story of Shenmue you know, what Shenmue 4 may be it's really drilling into that content as you say and really giving it that that real effort to to step it up it's a bit like Shenmue 1 and 2 in my in my opinion that Shenmue 1 is the you're foundation right, right. and then Shenmue 2 blows it out of the water and I, exactly. I from my point of view I, I'm, I have the confidence in, in Yu Suzuki and the team that they can do it again with Shenmue 4, that, that Shenmue 3 is the basis and Shenmue 4 will take that to another level. That's, that's yeah, my I mean, humble opinion. You're, I, think, I think you're 100% right, Matt. And, and he and I have spent a lot of time looking at the critiques of the, of the third game <laughs> and talking about how he would uh, address each, each and every one of those critiques uh, if he were to have the opportunity to work on a sequel. So he's, he's well aware, I think. And I, that's really hard, by the way, as a, as a creator whether you're working on a game that's perceived as a failure or success or somewhere in the middle, right, is to really take a close look at, uh, at the critiques of, of the thing that you've worked and poured so much of your life into and then uh, applied those lessons to your future thinking. Uh, I have the utmost respect for him and his ability to do that. Excellent. I think the community would be quite, quite excited actually to hear that he's listening 
to those critiques and they are valid at the end of the day I mean I loved the game for what it was but they are valid and it's good that he you know, from, from our point of view that he's listening to those and taking yes. those on board and has an idea of what he wants to do next I think that and I think he said that in an IGN Japan interview um, earlier this year he started talking about Shenmue 4 and what he wants to change and improve so he's all, he's having those thoughts now which is fantastic I think yeah and talk about the future of the franchise i'll touch on it briefly because i also want to sure. talk to you about iron man vr and things I'm, I'm, I'm aware we're running out of time um because obviously shenmue anime um came out of nowhere <laughs> for one of mm. a better expression um I, for me personally i think it's it's another really good arm to the franchise i think it could really entice new people in what what are you what's your take on the anime from what you you may or may not know about it do, do you think it could really aid the franchise going forward uh to both first of all I, I should be honest that i don't i'm not intimately familiar with the project i, I knew about it before it was announced obviously mm. um and yeah i don't even i, I should be careful because i'm not even sure how much has been announced publicly about it so um, let me just say that for, for, as far as i'm concerned any any high quality Shimu content, whether it's a game or it's anime, it's a manga or what, what, what have you, I think is a good thing, right? And I'm always gonna be supportive of that. Um, and, but I will say, and this is just my personal opinion, that I, while I would gladly accept future installments of the Shimu franchise be communicated through a, not a game. Yeah. I highly prefer it to be communicated through a game. And I, I want Shenmue 4, the video game, right? I want Shenmue 5, the video game. Um, but that, again, but I think having more extensions of the franchise, like the anime, I think is great and um, super, super excited for it. I yeah, I think actually from what has been revealed, it looks like a truly faithful recreation. I'm glad that Yuzuzuki himself is obviously his executive producer, so he's quite hands-on yeah. with it. And I think that's the thing. It's the per- yeah, They're not going to... It's not an open interpretation of the story, but they can go about it their own way with guidance from what Yuzuzuki is wanting to do with it. And it's, I'll be interested to see what, what comes out of it at the other end. I think it's generated a lot of hype, rightly so. Um, and I'd be very, very intrigued to see where it come, where it goes. Also, you've got to think that in terms of like merchandise for it, if it goes to Blu-ray or DVD. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you know, Shenmue fans tend to lap up merchandise like it's going out of they fashion do. anyway. <laughs> yes. It's on sale yep. for about 10 minutes and it's gone. I want to move away from Shenmue for the last few minutes because you're not just all about Shenmue. You have your own studio, Camouflage, which obviously um, released Iron Man VR this year. And I, ha- I have to confess, I haven't played it because I don't own PlayStation VR at the moment. But it came out to critical acclaim. So what inspired you to take Iron Man to the VR rounds? Well, um, yeah, well, first of all, yeah, thanks for asking about the game. Yeah, that's, that, that is my daytime job is to work on. Uh, to, to lead the charge over at Camouflage, which is home to about 50, 60 developers now. And uh, just a great team. And we were, we were given the opportunity to work on a, on a, on a Marvel VR pl- um, uh, property that, uh, that we came back and pitched them on saying, hey, you know what, if we were to work with a Marvel property in VR, we couldn't think of a better superhero to work with than Iron Man. And uh, through a, a much a long story that's probably way way beyond what we have the time to, to talk about, um, we were able to broker a, a relationship with with Marvel through um, a really amazing prototype 
that the team at Camouflage and Darkwind built. And from then on, it was just like this roller coaster ride uh, for several years of just learning what VR is all about, um, learning what the essence of that character is, trying to map the best things about Iron Man with the best things about um, the with uh, with VR, whether it's flying or shooting or ground pounding or rocket punching, and then also just telling a story through the uh, the power of the VR medium um, as as playing as Tony Stark, who's kind of his own worst enemy, and we told a story about that. So, like I said, it was a whirlwind development. Uh, it's kind of hard to believe that it's already over because um, you just just like I'm sure it was for Yu Suzuki, you worked on Shenmue Three for so many years, and then all of a sudden you're just not working on it anymore and you got to move on and i'm still i think i'm kind of in that that post-launch um phase where um, i miss working on it but i'm really proud of what the team built um, but i'm really excited about what what we have um what we have in the in the oven for our next project i'm going to touch on that in a minute actually um about your next project considering obviously what you kind of can't say I, i'm just interested in vr actually obviously i am on vr with you know, critical success, and I think it's done, from what I understand, sales-wise, it's done really, really well. Where do you think VR fits as a sort of a, a medium within gaming going forward? I, I really hope that VR is an important aspect of, of, of the way that we play games moving forward. Um, I don't, I'm not one of those people, and I think those people are starting to diminish over time. I don't think that VR is going to take over. Right? I don't think like in the future it's like it's only going to be VR games, but uh, but I do think that through games such as Half Life Alex or Resident Evil Seven or Tetris Effect, Res Infinite, Saints and uh, Walking Dead, Saints and Sinners, and literally now dozens of other games, I think you could say, have like really proven that VR is a powerful medium when utilized correctly, and not only from a visceral perspective of having the player's actions one-to-one with your player character and what that affords you in virtual reality and the immersion of it is not only extremely powerful, but when paired with storytelling, you can do some really amazing things that just aren't, in my opinion, um, as potent as they are um, on, on the flat screen. And so I'm just, um, I'm the biggest, I'm the world's biggest cheerleader for Sony and Oculus and, and Valve and HTC and all the, all, the, all the players in VR right now to just keep it going. Because I know it's an expensive investment. And I know the returns probably haven't been as high as that the analysts probably told them it would be many years ago. Um, but as a player and as a, as, a, as a fan of the game industry, um, I think that the work that developers are doing and the platform holders are doing in VR is very, very important because I think the future is really, really bright. For when the technology gets continues to get better, when developers continue to learn VR uh, more and more, and and as more amazing like IP like like Iron Man for example are coming into VR, um, I think that players are in store for some really incredible experiences down the road, and I I just uh, I just can't wait for for that day to for to see more content like that. And I think you're right. I think it is coming. Um, and VR has it's had a patchy history if you go all the way through gaming <laughs> all the way back shall we say but I oh, think yeah. this this generation of vr with, with certainly with the playstation vr oculus which are, i know you said that there, there are an investment in terms of the hardware but actually the quality of the content is that much higher that i think people now are interested in it and they're thinking yeah. what, what, what's 
deal with VR, what you know, and they get it, and then they get captivated by it because you can you can get encapsulated in what that game is trying to deliver to you. And I think you're right. I think as as it goes on, as technology gets better, as developers get more familiar with what they're trying to do with it, I do think that actually from a from a story perspective, it's it, it will really enhance that that experience for the player, whatever game that may be. And I think it's a bit of a sleeping giant in some respects, in, in my humble opinion. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right, Matt. And uh, let's just hope that platform holders, developers, consumers, we all just kind of keep keep stay committed. Mm. Um, because as you said, it's been kind of patchy and I think that we're on the, on a really encouraging upswing and we just have to keep this momentum going. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. My last question, because I know, um, we're just about to the top of the hour is I, without obviously giving too much away, uh, what, what projects do you have in the pipeline at camouflage? Is there anything that you can talk about going into the new console generations? Uh, yeah, I mean, I wish I could say, I think that let's just, let's just say that the team at Camouflage and our development partners at Darkwind um, hit the ground running after shipping Marvel's Iron Man VR. Um, not only because we're really passionate about what we're doing next, but because we kind of had to, given the, the state of the world. Mm. Um, you know, I, I'm a big fan of doing team surveys, uh, as the team would tell you. And I, I, I would send out lots of surveys asking them on a pretty regular basis. Uh, how are they feeling right now post-launch? I mean, you must be tired. You must be wanting to take a vacation. Like, are you going to take a vacation? Because if you are, like, it might be more of like a staycation than it is going to be like in a tropical environment with a, you know, with an umbrella in your in your drink. Uh, and I wasn't surprised to see that a lot of the team members um, decided that they're going to maybe take a long weekend here and there and mm. recharge the batteries, but they're going to wait um, a while until the world starts to get back to a place where it's safer to travel. Uh, and that's when they're going to take their real vacations. So what's going on within the walls of, of camouflage and, and dark wind is that we're just working so diligently on, on the new project, taking lessons from what we learned from Iron, Marvel's Iron Man, Iron Man VR, experimenting with new things. And um, yeah, I think the future is really, really bright for the company. It sounds I'm I'm looking forward to when you announce it. Obviously, you can't give us a time scale on it, um, but if it's anything like Iron Man VR, I think I think the uh, gaming world should be excited. Actually, I think I, I I hold I haven't played it yet, but I've read all the critical acclaim, and I, I've spoken to James who who's got it, and oh, he, he he absolutely loves VR anyway, and he said Iron Man VR is is is, is right up there, one of his favourites. So I will eventually invest in VR and I will be picking it up because I love Iron Man. I love Marvel <laughs> um, oh, outside, outside of Shenmue and games. So I think I think it's, yeah, I, the job you did on it from what I've seen it is absolutely stellar in my opinion. Oh, um, thank you. So I think the studio should be, should be really, really proud. Right, they I'm going to... I'm going to let you go because we're at the top of the hour. I'm sure you, you're a busy man with lots of other people wanting wanting your, your attention. So it leaves me to say thank you for your time. Um, I appreciate you taking the hour to talk to me about Shenmue 3, talk to me about camouflage and sort of your history in, in, in gaming itself. And yeah, I think the community will be thrilled to hear some of the things that we talked about. So yeah, from from bottom of my heart and the community, thank you so much. I, I deeply appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you. And um, yeah, maybe in closing, uh, you know, I just want to thank you and and and, and the community for for the, your hard work and dedication um, to the to the franchise. I know being a Shamu fan is not always easy, right? <laughs> no. uh, there's some really great and exciting days, and there's a lot, of, but there's probably more days where there's despair and uncertainty. 
and uh, and and but despite that that the that fact, so much of your community is hung around there. There's also new fans too, which is great. And hopefully, the anime will bring in even more fans. Um, but I think you know what I was talking about earlier. I think if there's any if there's like just one takeaway that I could leave with is that and I know a lot of your t- your community already knows this, but again, I think it's like having like a really delicate and healthy balance of of positivity and 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 also you know a critical eye to the franchise. Um, because as you know, so much, so sometimes, you know, communities can just devolve into negativity. I'm not, and I actually think that one of the great things about Shimu Dojo is it's overall like a quite positive community. Um, and so, but I also don't think you want to have like a community that's completely blind to the, to the flaws and the mistakes that are made um, yeah, throughout the way. Right. So, um, I think just, I just want to encourage your group to continue what they're doing, which is, um, being, it's okay to be excited. It's okay to have hopes and dreams and be optimistic about things, but it's also okay to, to, to call a spade a spade at times. And so um, that's something I've always appreciated about the community and, um, and congratulations on the big anniversary too. It's unbelievable. You guys have been around for, for that long. And it's, it's scary that we've been, I mean, me and James took it over in, in July. So it's only a very small part of the history, broader history, if you like, but yeah, it's, it's, it's mind blowing that, I signed up to the dojo probably 17 years ago and you never you don't think of it at the time do you but 20 years has disappeared and I'm now in my 30s yeah, still in, still involved and still doing all of it and yeah it, it, it's fantastic I think you're right I think what you say is very very true I think that what the community tried to foster is a healthy balance between positive praise where it's deserved and constructive criticisms and that's where I think sometimes I think we're all guilty of it that there's an overreaction to things especially negative things especially in this day and age with the internet and how things travel but I think that we try to foster a good balance between that constructive criticism that yeah we, we all discuss and we want to talk about and we want to get out in the open but doing it in a respectful manner I think is the biggest bugbear I have totally criticize somebody totally. all you want but please be respectful I think that's the one thing that I've always been taught is if you're going to criticize do it in a respectful manner and don't just hone in on those negative aspects take a wider view and see actually what the whole package is if you like i think we're birds of a feather uh me you and and your community at large because the internal three pillars of camouflage are being open honest and respectful right and we don't want to hear your your critiques or your frustrations if you can't do it in a respectful manner and I think as long as yeah you guys are adher- adhering to those those core principles, it's there's another twenty years of excitement to be looking forward to for Shemu Dojo. I think. 